So there's a shepherd, and he's out in the field watching over his very large flock of sheep. And up drives a brand-new Jeep Cherokee. This thing has got leather seats, a sunroof, four-wheel drive. It is a beautiful red Cherokee. And out of this Cherokee steps a man wearing a $4,000 suit. He's got Gucci shoes, Ray-Ban shades. He's got a Ralph Lauren tie. He is dressed to the nines. And he walks right up to the shepherd, and he says, Sir, if I can tell you exactly how many sheep you have, can I have one of them? The shepherd says, okay, <laughs> yeah, I guess. So the man pulls out his cell phone, and he's got G17 capabilities. And he hooks into an international database. He hooks into a global GPS and the NASA website. And then he hooks into a portable wireless printer, and he produces a 175-page report with color charts and graphs and statistics. And he hands it to the shepherd, and he says, Sir, you have exactly 1,289 sheep. And the shepherd said, You're right. Wow, um, I guess you can have one. And so the guy grabs an animal, puts it in the back of his car, and as he begins to drive away, the shepherd says, hang on a second, hold on. He says, I got a deal for you. If I can tell you what you do for a living, can I have my animal back? And the guy says, okay, I guess, yeah. And the shepherd says, you, sir, are a professional consultant. And the guy says, that's right. Wow, how, how did you know that? And he said, well, three things. One, you showed up without being invited. Two, you wanted me to pay you for telling me something I already knew. And three, you don't know anything about my business. You put my dog in the back of your car. <laughs> Have you ever been surprised by unsolicited advice? Have you ever been annoyed by unsolicited advice. You know, you're not asking for it. You're not expecting it. You don't want it, but here it comes. Somebody has a word for you. Somebody has counsel or advice for you in your particular situation. Now, most of the time, you can take it or leave it, right? Whatever. Maybe it's good, maybe it's not. But what if the person says, God told me to tell you this? What if the person says, the Lord has laid it on my heart to tell you this? What do you do with that? For the last five weeks, we've been talking about hearing God. And I love what's been happening within our church family over the last five weeks. I don't think a single day has gone by that somebody hasn't come into my study or called me or texted me or emailed me their own hearing God's story. Like so many of you have told me about a time in your past when you heard from God and so many of you have told me, hey, I'm doing this kind of new thing. I'm experimenting with this. I'm trying to tune into God better. I'm assuming you're all talking about that among yourselves as well. And that really excites me. That I am so thankful to God for that. But church, we also need to learn how to responsibly handle what it is we're hearing from God. Or when somebody else hears from God. Especially when they think what they heard is for you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Okay, 
What is Paul calling prophecy here? And why does the church need this kind of a warning about it? Whatever's happening here in this passage, the Bible says it needs to be tested, yes, but it doesn't need to be disregarded. It needs to be respected. Prophecy. Now, if we're going to preach about prophecy, and if I'm going to use that word today, prophecy, then we probably need to define that word, right? So let, let me take an honest stab at it here. I don't think Paul's talking about some new revelation. I don't think he's talking about an authoritative revelation. I don't think Paul is talking about predicting the future, okay? I think the New Testament definition of prophecy is something like this. It is the divine confirmation of God's will and God's word in order to encourage the church. That's the way prophecy is defined in every single list of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. In fact, prophecy is the only spiritual gift that's listed in every single list. And so I would say prophecy is a message of encouragement that comes from God to his people through another person. This is what the Bible's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Go, go there because we're going to spend some time in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Listen to the very first verse. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Why does Scripture want us to love and eagerly desire this gift of prophecy. What's so great about prophecy? We'll keep reading. Verse 2. Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. Verse 3. But everyone who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. See, the Holy Spirit gift of prophecy is one of the greatest blessings of living in these last days. Before Christ, not every man and woman had this gift. Not every child of God had the capacity to speak truth from God to other people. Remember Moses in the Old Testament, he says, I wish everybody could prophesy, but they can't. Well, church, now we can. Through Jesus Christ, we all have this gift of prophecy. Go to Acts chapter 2. Keep your finger there in 1 Corinthians 14. You may not have to go to Acts 2 because you know this by memory, right? The day of Pentecost. And Peter's telling all the people there that through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all the eternal promises of God, they're all coming true. Verse 17, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In those days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women will prophesy. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. All of God's people, that's the promise, will hear the voice of God in a variety of ways and they will take what they've heard and they will speak it to other people. That's the promise. 
your sons and your daughters equally, both women and men, they will all prophesy. This is what God had always promised. And now with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, this is exactly what's come true. Church, this is the great promise of the Messianic age. This age that we're in right now, this age that we're in today in Texas in 2023, that women and men filled with the Spirit of God will be able to prophesy. Now, again, let me be very clear about this, okay? Don't mishear me. Prophecy in the New Testament is not some brand new revelation. It's not some new authoritative revelation. It's not predicting the future, okay? This is a divine exhortation. This is a divine encouragement, that comes from God through one of his people in order to encourage the church. Go back to 1 Corinthians 14. Maybe you never left it. I did, unfortunately. Let's see, where are we going? Here we go. Uh, 14, verse 3. We, we, we just read it, right? The, the purpose of prophecy is to strengthen and encourage and comfort the followers of Jesus. So here's the question. As followers of Jesus today, church, do we still need strengthening encouragement and comfort captain obvious right the whole church says duh right i mean we know this right so for a church of jesus christ prophecy is not optional it's essential now you might call it something else maybe you're nervous about the word prophecy because of the way it gets used in other places i get that i can appreciate that but whatever you call it, the church cannot live without it. And we don't. We don't even pretend to. Now again, we may not call it prophecy, but we do believe the promise of Jesus that if we ever step out of our comfort zone, if we ever step out in faith to a place where we're called on to witness for Jesus, Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit will give us the words to say. We believe that, don't we? Do we believe that as a church? That's what Jesus said. You ever experienced it? A lot of us have. Think about it, okay? Let me tell you about my first experience, or at least this is the first time in my life I felt it, like I experienced it, and I could actually identify it as what this is. Um, this was in September of 2007. I was nine weeks into my first full-time preaching work at the Legacy Church northeast of Fort Worth. And it's a Saturday morning. A lady calls my house, a lady from church, and she says, Paul and Jean Dennis's son was just killed in a car wreck somewhere in Oklahoma. They're devastated. They just found out. Like the DPS just called them. Somebody needs to go over there. And so I got in my truck, and I started driving, and I started praying. Lord, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I prayed that whole 15, 20 minutes out to Paul and Jean Dennis's house. Now, I didn't know Paul and Jean Dennis that well. We'd only been there less than a couple of months. I knew they sat two rows behind us, and I knew Paul's voice. He had this booming, loud, awesome bass voice. Like, Russell, you remind me of, of, uh, of Paul. And he just had this huge personality, too. Super loud, booming personality, super nice guy. His wife, just the opposite. Very quiet, very mild-mannered, very soft-spoken, very gentle. But they're both just sweet and loving and warm, gentle people. And they're both just devastated. And I'm like, how do I do this? I'm just going to barge into their house on a Saturday morning and try to talk to them and give them comfort when their son's just been killed. God, I prayed, God, you're going to have to do this. I got nothing. 
Father, you're going to have to give me the words. Lord, I don't know what to say. Please talk through me. Please give them your presence and give this family your peace through me. Somehow, God, you've decided I can do this. I don't think I can. So, Father, you have to do this. And he did. He did. Praise God. You've experienced this, right? Some of you. I walked into that house. Paul is, he's lost his mind. I mean, he is frantic. He is upset. He's pacing all over the house, inside and out. He's on the phone. He's yelling at people. He's crying. Jean, she's sitting on the couch. I'll never forget this. She's got a whole pile of pictures of John, their son. She's just looking at these pictures. They're both just crying. And I walk into that living room and uh, I had the words. And I had the passage to read, Psalm 139, 1 through 10, you know, God's presence with us no matter what's going on, no matter where we are, God is with us. God gave me the prayer to pray. Praise God. Two weeks later, Paul and Jean tell me, Alan, I don't know how you did it. We were out of our heads. We were devastated. It felt like we were totally alone and that we didn't even know where God was. And you came in and said the exact right words. And you, you prayed the exact right prayer. And you read the words from God we needed to hear. Alan, we don't know how you did that. Okay, I've got three options at this point. One, well, the devil gave me those words. No. Two, I amaze even myself at my own brilliance. Aren't I something? No. Three, Thank you, Father, for giving me those words. Thank you, Father, for giving me the words to strengthen, encourage, and comfort my brother and sister in Christ. I think that, in the New Testament, is called prophecy. Now, we know that one of the ways we hear God, and there's lots of them, one of the ways we hear God is through each other, through other people. It happens a lot. I think it's very common I think if we paid attention to it, we would see that it happens every single day. But if that kind of prophecy is such a blessing to the church, why does Paul need to say, do not treat prophecies with contempt? Don't scoff at prophecies, right? Don't ridicule them. Don't blow them off. Why? Why does he need to do that? Because the sad reality is some people will use God told me as their ultimate trump card. They use prophecy to run their own agenda. God told me, that is the ultimate trump card, right? How do you push back on that? How do you look at somebody who's saying, God put this on my heart? How do you question that? I think that's what that commandment is about. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I don't think that's about cussing. Now, I'm not endorsing cussing, okay? Yvonne Brooks, you hear me? All right. I'm not endorsing cussing here. But I think people will use God's name sometimes to punch up their own agenda, to give some weight or some credibility to their own personal opinions. That ain't prophecy, okay? That's something else. And you've seen this, right? Some of you have experienced this. I know you've seen it on TV. These TV preachers, I'm, I'm getting on to them now. I probably shouldn't, but, but it's easy, I guess. But you know, God told me to tell you, and that usually ends with to write a check, you know? 
God showed me in a vision, and that vision is usually of you and your bank account and your routing number. You know, that's that's usually what that's about. And I always think back to 1987. It was January of 1987 when, um, um, oh, good night. His name is escaping me. No. Oh, good gravy. Built the church. Oral Roberts built a church. They all built a church. Well, think about this hospital. He's building a hospital in January of 87. Oral Roberts, I've got that right. And uh, he told his church and the whole national TV audience, this is in January, he says, God told me that we have to raise $8 million by March. We have, to, this is in 87. It's a lot of money. We've got to raise $8 million by March or I'm going to die. Do y'all remember this? He told his church this. The Lord will call his servant Oral Roberts home. I will die if we don't raise this $8 million. He says, I'm calling on you, the church, to extend my life. God told me they raised $9 million in five weeks. See, that doesn't work in churches of Christ. It doesn't. If the preacher's life is on the line, y'all be taking money out of the plate. I know. I know how this works. Here's the mistake we make. Knowing that this kind of thing happens, here's the mistake we make. Whenever somebody abuses a freedom or a gift from God, church, our sad tendency is to just shut the whole thing down. And we just say, we're not going to do this anymore. We make rules and we make laws about the fact that we're not going to let this happen, so we're just not going to do it anymore. Church, we do that with all kinds of things. You know, listen, there are some ways to dance that are lewd and crude and completely unholy. And so lots of Christians have said, well, then we're just not going to dance. We're not going to dance. Nowhere, no time, there's no place to dance. Even though the Bible says there is a time to dance. And there is a way to dance that expresses joy and gratitude and even serves as a praise to God. But we've said no dancing. Listen, some people drink too much alcohol and they get drunk and they ruin their families and sometimes their whole communities. Awful things happen. And so a lot of Christians have said, well, then drinking is wrong. All drinking is wrong. There is no time. There is no place to drink, even though the Bible makes very clear wine is a gift from God. We do this kind of thing all the time. But, but here's the deal, and we've got to wrestle with this a little bit this morning. Scripture never tells us to do that. The Bible, hear me, you might write this down and tweet it later after you decide that it's true, because this is true. The Bible never corrects abuse by commanding disuse. You got it? The Bible never corrects abuse by commanding disuse. The Bible corrects abuse by teaching proper use. Okay? Now, the most obvious examples of this are right here in 1 Corinthians. Right? These Christians in Corinth were not sharing their food and drink at the Lord's Supper. Some people are getting drunk. Other people are going hungry. You've got rich people stuffing themselves. You've got the poor people being left out. But Paul doesn't say, you need to stop eating together. He says, when you eat together, do it like this. Same thing with, with women in the church, right? You've got some women in this church in Corinth, and they're disrupting the service. They're interrupting the speakers, and they're not taking their proper turns. But Paul doesn't say that the women have to stop praying and prophesying in the assembly. He says, when the women 
pray and prophesy in the worship, this is how they should do it. Same thing with the tongues, right? He doesn't say stop speaking in tongues. He says when you speak in tongues, you need to do it like this. Okay, same thing with prophecy, right? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 29, he tells us how to do it. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. Don't be offended. If you think you've heard something from the Lord and when you share it with somebody, they say, well, now hang on a second. I'm going to have to study that. I'm going to have to pray about that. And I'll let you know if I think that was from the Lord or not. Don't be offended by that. That's what they're supposed to do. Look, communication is complicated, right? We know this. We've talked about this. We don't always hear everything that's said to us. We don't always hear it right. We don't always repeat correctly everything we've heard. Sometimes we misinterpret what it is we've heard. Communication is hard. Rick actually tells this story about a really good friend of his whose mom got her very first cell phone and she's texting everybody. Like she's just, she's going nuts on this thing. She's texting everybody and she starts seeing texts come back to her and like, LOL. What is LOL? She didn't know what LOL meant. She thought it meant lots of love. It's just, so she's texting people. I heard your daughter got divorced, LOL. <laughs> I heard your father passed away, LOL. She didn't know. What does 1 Corinthians 13 say? We know in part, we prophesy in part. It's hard, right? And so I would say, if you're hearing something from the Lord that you feel compelled to share with somebody else, do it with a posture of humility. Don't say, the Lord told me to tell you such and such. You might say something like, you know what? I think the Lord is telling me something and I feel like I'm supposed to tell you and I encourage you to pray about it and maybe do your own study and have your own conversations with some people that you talk to a lot because I'm not sure, but here is what I think the Lord's telling you. Doesn't that sound a lot better? Doesn't that feel a lot more scriptural? So how do you know? How do you know if what you're hearing or what somebody else is telling you they're hearing, how do you know that that really is from the Lord? Here's the bottom line. I think we judge all of it. All of it. I think it has to go through the truth of Jesus. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world this is how you can recognize the spirit of God every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God verse 6 this is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood hear me okay all of God's truth all of God's plans, everything God wants to say to you, everything he wants you to know, everything that, that, that is God's word and God's will, all of that has already been revealed to us in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Everything God wants to say to you, everything he wants you to know is already out there because of the life and the death and the resurrection of our Lord. And so distinguishing God's voice, I think, is always measured through the lens of the truth we know in Christ. 
So let me give you four things, okay? Four super quick things as we wrap up here. I would encourage you to write these down. Maybe write them uh, on your bulletin insert where you're going to be spending time in word and prayer this week. Uh, think through these. I think these are four questions you can ask. These are four things that will help you distinguish what's God's voice and what's not. The first question is, does it lift up Jesus as Lord? Listen, the Holy Spirit of Christ will always point to the Lordship of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. No one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Remember, there's lots of different voices out there trying to grab your attention. Any word that diminishes Jesus, any word that questions his deity or his humanity, any word that reduces the sufficiency of his atonement, any word that questions the uniqueness of his identity as the one and only way to the Father, that message is not from God. The voice of God will always exalt his Son as Lord. Question number two. Does it hold up Jesus' gospel of grace? Wow, this is a very important question to ask. Because a lot of people want to share encouragement with you. A lot of people want to share teaching with you. But their words might be moving you more towards a legalistic kind of slavery. You know, the church in Galatia was being upset and divided over words like this. The teaching that was coming in was confirming Jesus as Lord, but that teaching was also trying to insist that circumcision be a part of salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were insisting on adding Mosaic rituals and customs and practices to the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Paul addresses that in, in the opening lines of his letter to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, he says... He says it's really no gospel at all, right? That's how he starts. And then he says, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and they're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Listen, any news, any news that undermines or adds to the good news of the grace and the freedom that we have in Jesus any news that puts an emphasis on human rules and traditions over the freedom and the grace we have in Jesus, church, that is not a word from God. Number three, does it flow from a Christ-like life? No matter how gifted the person may be, the Bible never, ever upholds giftedness over character. A person who hears and speaks words from Jesus should bear the fruit of Jesus in his or her own life. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 7, Sermon on the Mount. Our Lord says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree can't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. Listen, if someone tells you they have a word for you from the Lord, and your first reaction is, I don't know about that, because of the kind of person it is who's telling you, you're probably onto something. 
If this person is a known liar or a gossip, if this person is divisive or ungrateful, if this person is a busybody or lacks self-control, that person is probably not speaking for our God. Here's the last one. Does the message build up the body of Christ? Now, we can't lose this today, okay? When we, we all run out of here in about 10 minutes, I don't want you to lose this part of the lesson today. That comes straight from Scripture, straight from 1 Corinthians 14.3. Prophecy is given to us by God to strengthen, encourage, and comfort God's people in his church. So prophecy is not about discovering the secrets of the end of times. It's not about predicting the future. It's not about condemning or judging anybody. Prophecy is to strengthen, encourage, and comfort the church. And so any words from anybody that discourage, any words that insult, any words that criticize, any words that potentially divide, those cannot be excused with God told me. We don't do that. And we don't let it happen. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's interesting to me. That last part especially. You know, Thessalonians says you're quenching the Holy Spirit when you tell people they can't speak for God. And then Ephesians here says you grieve the Holy Spirit when you do say that you're speaking for God, but your words are ugly or hateful or mean. Listen, God will never give you a message that's not drenched in love. He'll never tell you something that's not covered in his love. He'll never give you a message that you can't repeat unless it's in love. 1 Corinthians 14, follow the truth of Christ. Follow the way of love, it says, the gift of prophecy. Prophecy and love are connected, right? I mean, our, our biggest problem in the church today is not a lack of prophecy. It's a shortage of love. Prophecy is always going to be a holy expression of love from God in Christ. Now, we've been talking about hearing God for five weeks. And I hope that you know our God is still speaking today. I hope that you're learning and practicing how to better hear God in a variety of different ways and settings. I hope that you're tuning into God's voice today like never before. But love is one of the major keys here. I believe if you prioritize love, I mean the, the love of Christ kind of love, if you make that your goal, I think you'll hear God. Give your priority to loving and your hearing will improve. I think if you tell God in prayer, I want to love more. I want to love better. I want to love like Jesus He'll show you how. He'll tell you exactly. Elizabeth Noller tells this story about her five-year-old grandson. His name's Michael. And Elizabeth is leaving their house one day. She's going to go home. Michael's on the front porch. She's getting in her car. And her five-year-old grandson blows her a kiss. 
across the front lawn. She catches it, puts it in her pocket. She's talking to him on the phone a week or two later. He says, Grandma, do you still have that kiss? She says, of course, Michael. You saw me. I put it in my pocket. He said to her, well, you better take care of it. That was my best one. <laughs> we should be taking care of God's gifts to us. And the Bible says one of his best ones is prophecy. Think about that. We have the capacity from God's Holy Spirit to strengthen, encourage, and comfort each other. What a glorious gift. We should take care of it. Stand with me, church. I want to lead us in a prayer together. Let's talk to the Lord together, and let's listen. Let's listen. Father, would you please, by your spirit, help us improve our hearing? God, help us to hear you better, not just with our ears, but also with our hearts, God. Help us to hear your voice. God, increase our capacity to love. Help us love each other more. Help us love each other better. Father, help us to love like Jesus. And Lord, I'm going to ask you right now, in the name of our Lord Jesus, Would you please right now, God, for each of us individually, would you put a name on our heart? Give us a person right now, God. Give us that name. Father, remind us right now of somebody we know who needs strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. God, give us that person. Does everybody have somebody? You got somebody? You got a name? Church, you got a face? You got a person? Father, we're listening. Tell us. What do you want me to do with this person, God? This person you just gave me. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to pray for this person? Father, do you want me to do something? Lord, do you have something you want to say to this person through me? Lord, please give me the words. In the name of Jesus, everybody says together, Amen.